Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive. And the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2019 at checkout to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. What's up? Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast. We are presented, of course, by Total Beverage. Right now, Total Beverage has an exclusive deal for BSN listeners. You guys know all about it by now. You can get $10 off a $50 purchase or more on their website and app by using the promo code BSN10. That's BSN10. Again, visit the Total Beverage website, visit the Total Beverage app, and you guys can save $10 off a $50 purchase or more. You can also have it delivered right to your door because now Total Beverage makes it super convenient. They're delivering anywhere in the North Metro area, all the way from Wheat Ridge to Erie. Monday edition of the show. Excited to record this one. We've got a fascinating game to talk about. The Nuggets beat the Pacers 102-100. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here. I think we're going to see how long we can go before we mention Hugh, who must not be named, uh, before we utter uh, his name. I'm going to see how long we can go. How many minutes do you think we can make it? Did you just give our guy Voldemort treatment? I mean, I'm just relaying the thoughts and feelings that I'm getting from Nuggets fans right now. Man, um, yeah, let's see if we can make it like seven or eight minutes before we bring that up. Yeah, but definitely a talking point after this latest Nuggets win. Let's start big picture here. Um, the Nuggets go 3-0 in this homestand. There were, I think, some questions you know, just coming into this homestand about how this team is, the fatigue potentially setting in with some guys on this roster. I mean, how much better do you feel about this team right now after they swept this three-game homestand, wins against the Timberwolves, Mavericks, and Pacers than you did before this thing started, you know, really just before this last week? I, I mean, I was thinking it going into this thing that they need to go at least 2-1 and one in this homestand. Um, they went 3-0. and oh. You know, one of the performances, the, the first game of the homestand, they, they played a, about as well as they have all season. What, they shoot 60% in that game, that, that Dallas game, Let's be honest, they just kind of pulled that one out of their butts. And I thought this game against the Pacers was kind of in between those two. Um, it wasn't, you know, they didn't blow the world away or, or anything, but they didn't play as bad as they did against Dallas. No doubt. And the Pacers were by far the toughest opponent they faced over these three games. Maybe one of my biggest takeaways from this Nuggets win over the 
Pacers was just the fact that Indiana's a damn good team, man. They're awesome. They run their stuff. Uh, they're well coached. Nate, Nate McMillan's done a heck of a job there. And if you remember when he was hired, pretty much across the board, people were saying how terrible of a hiring that was. And he's really flipped the script there. Uh, they've somehow kept their standing in the Eastern Conference without Victor Oladipo. They play really good defense offensively. They're about league average. They struggle at times. They only scored 100 points on Denver. Obviously, they'd be a little bit better on that end of the floor with Oladipo. But the Pacers are a really well-put-together team. The pieces fit. They've got good young guys. They've got good veterans. They just play their stuff. They, they look for mismatches. So this one over the Pacers, this was a good win against a really good quality Indiana team. And I don't think the Nuggets played their best basketball of the season by any means, but they played well enough to win. I think they can just feel really good about beating a really solid team that who had been playing really well coming into this one, like Indiana. You know, I always say that Nikola Jokic, I think he has the best touch around the rim and kind of those those short mid-range shots. He's so good at those flip shots. Mm-hmm. I think that DeMontis Sabonis might be second in the NBA just mm-hmm. on his touch around the rim and those flip shots, sort of like Jokic. I mean, it, the, the way he controls a basketball around the hoop is almost Jokic-esque to me. I mean, he's such an efficient player. He shot 6 for 10 in this game. I'm looking at his cleaning the glass splits right now. 72% at the, at the rim this year, 46% from short, short mid. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I mean, they just have a lot of impressive pieces, and I love watching Sabonis. Yeah, they're a very watchable team for sure. Who would you pick going forward? This might be a question the Pacers have to answer here over the next couple of seasons. DeMontis Sabonis or Miles Turner? Well, you might not want to ask me this one after Nicole Jokic <laughs> spit Miles Turner up and spit, or chewed him up and spit him out alive. Defensive player of the year candidate, Miles Turner, or so I was told. Oh, man. Jokic just filleted him. Um, I mean, Sabonis is a lot more impressive in this one. I don't know. The thing with Miles Turner, too, he settles for a lot of jump shots. Mm-hmm. He gets a little jump shot happy. For well, such he does a big shoot 38.5% from three. So there's that. I don't know, man. It, yeah, I guess I guess he does he does it well. I mean, they're a good team, but he was too jump shot happy in this game. Maybe they just weren't going down, but I yeah. wanted to like yell at him and be like, "Get get near the rim, man. Like try to get some rebounds." Remember Miles Turner coming into the draft, the biggest knock on him was he just didn't know how to run. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, I don't. People were like breaking down his running form, criticizing how he just moved. It was a legit concern in the draft, but I don't think that has really carried over into his first couple of seasons in the league. It's a tough choice for the Pacers. I might go DeMontis Sabonis if I had to choose. He might even be the cheaper option, too, if those two guys were up for uh, new contracts there. They're both 22, both uh, the same age. It's a great front court. It certainly is. Speaking of Nikola Jokic, who dominated Miles Turner in this one, a big first quarter for him. What were some of your impressions, particularly of how Jokic came out in the first quarter? He looked super aggressive, really tried to go at Turner every time down. Yeah, I mean, when Jokic is in one of those zones, I almost feel bad for the defender. Like, the defender looks like a, a dog chasing his tail at, at when Jokic has got it going like that. Um, I mean, it was really encouraging to see Jokic follow up um, what was really a, a below-average game against the Mavericks. I know he kind of salvaged it with a, a, a big fourth quarter in the game winner, but... You know, through three quarters, I, I thought that was one of the worst games that, that Jokic played as a pro. He's kind of floating in that one before he took over. But, yeah, man, it was it was great to see him just come out firing. I mean, 16 points and 7 of 10 shooting uh, in the first quarter. He had de- 7 of Denver's 11 made field goals 
I believe in that quarter, so he was great. Yeah, what we had with Nikola Jokic the other night was a classic bounce-back game after there had been some uh, some momentum building uh, around should he be more aggressive, is he a little fatigued. We've seen this song and dance from Jokic uh, before. I mean, think back to some of his lowest output you know, scoring games this season, like the four points he had in Memphis, for example, on all of one shooting. He comes back the next night at home against the Nets, puts up 37 points. We've seen this act from Jokic before, I think. I don't think he reads what we write. I don't think he listens to our podcasts, but just based off some of the questions he has to field when he's not super aggressive, which he hadn't been over these uh, last couple of games, I felt like before this Indiana game, I almost get the feeling like he wants to just shut us all up. Well, he didn't want to talk to us after the game, really. Yeah. I mean, that was for other reasons. But. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know what? I, I don't, I'm not even going to pretend to know what no, motivates Nikola Jokic. He is uh, a I'm weird I'm not dude. saying it motivates him. All I'm saying is I think he's obviously aware of the questions he's getting asked. And he, I think he says to himself, I just don't want to be asked about not playing aggressively tonight. And so I'm just going to go out and shoot the ball every time down the floor and put up 10 shots in the first quarter, which he did. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like some days he wakes up and he's like, I feel like a million bucks. I'm just going to go give Miles Turner the business. And other games, he's like, eh, you know what? My, my touch doesn't feel that good. I'm going to feel my way into the game with some passing and then maybe shoot as the game goes on. Yeah, so he came out, I felt like, as maybe the most aggressive he has looked all season. Maybe going back to one of those matchups with DeAndre Ayton when you know he just really went at Ayton every time down. 7 of 10 from him in the first quarter for 16 points. He scored 16 of Denver's 25 points in the quarter. Kind of tapered off a bit from there over the rest of the game. Only 4 of 11 for 10 points. But I liked how aggressive he was playing. I like how he looked to go at Turner. He's had some big games against Miles Turner in the past, as you mentioned, a couple 30-plus point games, and you know, he probably would have had one here if you know, he didn't tail off in the second, third, and fourth quarters. Yeah, Jokic had a bucket there in the first quarter where it was a Euro step. It, it takes Jokic like six seconds to go the left and the right. Yeah, and the Serbia step. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on the, the Jokic Euro? Oh, it's fabulous. It's amazing. It's a great move. You know, he has great footwork, so he executes it well. It just takes him a little longer to get from the foul line to the hoop than most guys. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. I mean, you need a sundial to measure that thing. (laughs) No, Jokic was great, though. NBA.com had him 9 of 14 from the field with Miles Turner as his primary defender. He scored 21 points on 46 possessions with Turner guarding him. Pretty good right there, I'd say. And look. Denver tried to find him for most of this game. They did. I actually thought he was being over-aggressive at times. Some of the threes he was taking, uh, some of the shots he was taking, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he shouldn't shoot because you know he should look to score whenever he gets the ball, look to be a threat. But I actually thought he was a little bit over-aggressive at times, a little maybe a, a little over-correction, if you will. Wow. You, you just don't see that very often. No, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I felt like... Whenever he, he goes through zones like this, uh, he, there are a couple games where he's not as aggressive. I think he's I'm trying to prove a point. And I think he did that against Indiana, for sure. 
I want to get into what Paul Millsap has done over these last three games, three of, I think, his better games in a Nuggets uniform. Also, of course, we'll touch on Nikola Jokic getting ejected in the second half in this one. First, though, quick word from Get Around. If you guys are ever in need of a car, truck, or vehicle for a few hours or a few days, Get Around is at your service. If you're not familiar with Get Around, it's just a car sharing app. You can literally unlock cars near you through their app. And if you have a car that's just sitting around, make some extra money for your next vacation by renting it out. Get Around's insurance policy and 24-7 customer service have you covered. So go to get.co backslash nuggets. You can save $15 off your first rental, or you can visit get.co backslash BSN to sign up for free to rent your car out and start making some money fast. One of my other big takeaways from this homestand, Christian, Paul Millsap has looked great. I've asked Michael Malone about him a couple times over the last few days or so. He said that he thinks Paul Millsap has kind of flipped the switch since the All-Star break. My question to you is, have you seen a different Paul Millsap since the break? Does he look more refreshed? Does he look more energized? And what stands out to you about his game here as of late? I mean, he looks fantastic the way he's moving out on the, on the floor physically. Um, his his touch and just shot making um, around the basket has been really, really impressive since the All-Star break. He had 33 on 14 or 19 shooting against Dallas. That was That was just crazy scoring performance. Um, a pretty good night for him against Indiana, 15 on 5 of 11 shooting. But, yeah, man, I, I, I think this is the best basketball, like maybe the best, probably the best 10-game stretch Millsap has ever played in a Nuggets uniform. I'd have to agree with you. And the biggest thing or one of the biggest factors in why he looks so good, I don't think we have to overthink it. It's probably health. This is really the healthiest Paul Millsap has been since – the beginning of last season when he played, what, 14, 15 games before he went down with that injury and missed the next 44. He wasn't really 100% when he came back from that wrist injury. And then, you know, at the beginning of this season, uh, he battled through a couple things and then had that broken toe. And then he had, what, uh, ankle injury? He missed a couple games for that. He's fully recovered now. I mean, this is the healthiest he's been since he got here. And I think for a guy like him, who's 34 years old and, you know, really needs every ounce of athleticism that he's got in that body, health is really important. But yeah, he's been a beast here over the last month. This three-game stretch against Minnesota, Dallas, and in Indiana has really stood out. I mean, 23 against Minnesota on 8-12 shooting and then 33 against Dallas on 14 and 19 shooting. He's been a beast here. And I love how the Nuggets have been running some stuff through him. They they love to go to Millsap when he's got advantage down low. And a lot of these hybrid slim down fours that he's going against, he, he can usually get a pretty good shot off of them. And he's also coming up clutch. And the Nuggets like going to him late in games. He's played in a lot of high intensity moments. He knows how to get high quality shots around the rim. In fourth quarters, he's done that as of late, and he hits the game winner against Indiana the other night with seven seconds remaining. So it's been fun to watch. Yeah, there's some guys you worry about that who are gonna, you know, maybe tighten up a little bit late in close games. I mean, it's just a natural human reaction. Like I, I was definitely like that when I played. Not that I played at a high level or anything, but you know, some some guys just get a little bit tighter. Paul Millsap is one of those guys where 
I feel like his his heart rate is the exact same, you know, as it is at the end of a, a one point game, as it is if the Nuggets are up like fifteen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I really believe that he's a guy who's able to stay calm in those moments. Um, you know, the game winner uh, just took it left. Um, I like Paul's quote afterwards about it. I had my mind made up. I was going to drive it, so it was pretty decisive. I'm actually pretty good when I'm dis- pretty, when I'm decisive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a good one for him, but. Yeah, man. I mean, I I just have so much faith in in Paul Millsap, you know, during those crucial situations late in games. When chatting with him over the last couple of weeks, he said that a couple of different times. He said, when I'm decisive and I make up my mind with with what I'm going to do and I stick to that, I'm a better offensive player. So maybe that means, you know, earlier this season, going back to last season, he was still trying to feel himself out within the realms of this Nuggets offense. We've talked about that before. It's not the easiest offense to just come into and just get up to speed with the read and react motions and stuff. But I think we're just seeing a guy who's really comfortable in his role now. He's pretty much two years into his tenure here in Denver and is just really confident in picking his spots. He shot a combined 27 of 42 from the field over these last three games, 64%. And also on the year, we were talking about how how much he comes up in the clutch. He's 15 of 24 in the clutch in the last five minutes of games when the score is within five points or less. So he's shooting 62.5% from the field in those situations. It's the most efficient mark on the team. So uh, he's been really reliable uh, late in games. And he's had a couple interesting quotes here over the last couple of days. But one that stood out to me, I think it was after the win over the Mavericks, but you know he pretty much said that my job here late in fourth quarters with a lot of young guys on this team is to keep everybody calm. And he said, quote, younger guys have a tendency of panicking, feeling like they have to make a player do something. My presence and my job is to calm these guys down when things get crazy out there. And we've seen that you know, time and time again from him. Yeah, definitely. It seems like Paul is really enjoying playing on this team. It really seems like he enjoys the role uh, of being this older guy who th- these young, talented players are going to lean on. I mean, there's there's no way to quantify this, but how much has Paul Millsap helped Nikola Jokic along and helped Jokic realize he can be like one of the best top, best five players in the entire NBA? How much has he helped Malik Beasley, a guy he's known since he was a teenager, really understand what it takes to be a, a pro in this league? I think Paul Millsap was worth every dollar of that deal he signed, you know, not only because of what he does on the court, he's, you know, calming presidents, he's steady, but just behind the scenes, that guy is incredible. He is. He's a culture setter, and I think it's a reason that the Nuggets really had their sights set on him and had wanted to acquire him just straight up in free agency or through a trade when he was with the Hawks and finally got him, but they had wanted Paul Millsap for a while because of those intangibles, because of what he brings off the court and how he can just stabilize a locker room. So when speaking about how he's helped elevate Nikola Jokic, there's a lot of examples we can look to. I mean, last year he he came out pretty strongly behind Jokic and said, this guy is the franchise. This guy is who we run everything through. I think that gave Jokic a lot of confidence, and I think – Jokic has become a better defender as well by just playing next to Paul Millsap and seeing how much effort he puts it on that end of the floor. I mean, just imagine being in a Nuggets film session and you're watching a defensive possession and you see Paul Millsap fly across the lane from the other side and like get in position 
to play help side defense or take a charge. Maybe you don't catch that when you're playing with them on the court on defense, but you see that stuff in the film room. Like that stuff is crazy valuable. Yeah, and if a guy who's has been four All Star games is doing that, who's 34 years old mm-hmm. is flying around like that, you're gonna feel not so great about yourself if you're not giving similar effort. You'd think, no doubt. I mean, this is why Paul Millsap came to Denver to compete in the playoffs, to be a part of a team that's really fun to play for, to play in an up-tempo, sti- up-tempo style. I mean, this is, I think, a similar offense in some ways to what he played with in Atlanta. A lot of motion, a lot of read and react, but it's just played at such a higher pace, such a higher level here that it's tough to make that comparison. And he said that too. He said, this Nuggets offense is totally different. It's at a totally different pace and rate than how I played in Atlanta. I agree with you, though. I think he's really enjoying the role he's playing. And, I mean, obviously the success this year is a big deal to him. And also the Nuggets are playing defense this year, which I have to think warms his heart a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, going back to training camp, he said we can be a top five defense. And we all looked at him like he was on drugs or something like that. And, <laughs> you know, the Nuggets were there for the first quarter of the season you know, they, they've fallen off that, that pace since, but still, for this team to be 11th in defensive rating with, what, 15 games to go or whatever it is, is a huge accomplishment. No doubt. No doubt. He has been worth every penny of the three-year $90 million deal that the Nuggets gave to him two years ago. Of course, a team option on that last year for $30 million, I'd have to think Denver declines that, but I get the feeling they still want him around this team. I mean, that's the, the biggest offseason question. Mm-hmm. We don't We don't have to spent a lot of time, but that's that's the biggest thing to watch out for, right, is Millsap can be a part of this again. Yes, and I think he will if I had to go one way or another. I think he would want to be, and I think the Nuggets would want to bring him back. I think it'd be really important for him, him to be back, and uh, we know how much the Nuggets love continuity. Uh, we know how much Denver has preached that, so keeping him around would enable some more continuity to uh, take place. I got a trivia question for you. What teams are top 10 in both offense and defense? All right. I'm not going to peek. Uh, I'm going to guess off the top of my head. I'm going to say Milwaukee. Correct. Milwaukee is third in offense and first in defense. Uh, are there any others besides Milwaukee? In there Denver? are. There are some more. Okay. Um, is it Golden State? Golden State is not. Golden State is first in offense, but they are 14th in defense. Man, those dudes are not trying at all this year. <laughs> no. Only against Denver do they try. Right. Um, I, I don't think Houston is top 10 in defense. Houston is not. Houston is 21st in defense. Is Oklahoma City top 10 in offense? Oklahoma City is not. They are 16th in offense. They are 4th in defense, though. Okay. Think Eastern Conference. Um. Oh, the Raptors. The Raptors. Okay. Seventh in offense, ninth in defense. Okay. Keep thinking Eastern Conference. Um, oh, man. I mean, I don't think the Celtics are. are the they? Celtics are. What? Eighth in offense, fifth in defense. If you just look, like the Celtics numbers, if you just look at them, you're like, hey, it's a pretty good season. But then when you actually watch them play and like hear the comments they make, it seems like an absolute dumpster fire. It's it's weird. It has been a very weird season uh, for our guys up there and uh, coffee shop Kyrie. Really good numbers for a team that's a dumpster fire. Maybe Kyrie Irving isn't a, a great leader, Harrison. There, there's one more team in the Eastern Conference that's top 10 in both, but they're barely top 10. They're actually ranked 10th in offense and 10th in defense. 
Um, Philly? Philly. Okay. Tenth in offense, tenth in defense, the and the tenth best net rating. Look at that. I only bring that up because the Nuggets are the eleventh best defense in the league. So they're actually no. They are tied with Philly for the tenth best defense in the league. So technically, the Nuggets are one of the teams that are top ten in both offense and defense with the Warriors, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Celtics, the 76ers, and the Nuggets. So there are six teams. Denver is one of the six. Look at that balance, baby. One player on the Nuggets that Denver could use a little more balance from their starting point guard, Jamal Murray, the Blue Arrow, who was in a archery duel with Wes Matthews the other night, the two arrow-firing three-point marksmen. Uh, they, they were letting him go at Pepsi Center. You know, Murray's had an interesting year, I think. He obviously came into this year with a lot of expectations. You wrote about this for Monday in an article coming out on bsndenver.com, but when Murray plays really well, the Nuggets play really well. When he's not playing as well and not scoring as much, the Nuggets don't play as well. He's a guy that's been up and down this year. He's had some outstanding scoring nights. He's had some below-average scoring nights, but he seems to be the biggest X factor on this team. Yeah, I mean, Jamal has had games this year where he goes for 48 against Boston, 46, 36. He's also had games with 7, 4, and 3. Um, I was digging into to some of the kind of the splits and trying to figure out just, you know, trying to quantify when Murray plays well, how do the Nuggets do? Well, Denver's 17 and 4 this season when Jamal shoots 50% or better. They're 24 and 17 when he shoots 49% or worse. You know, there are a lot of ways you can slice it, but it really does seem like. You know, when Jamal Murray is on, this team just, just goes to a different level. And when, when Jamal is, you know, below average or just kind of playing mad basketball, then they're a beatable team. They're, they're still good. Like, they're still an above mm-hmm. average team, but they're mortal. They, they can be touched. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the most interesting long-term questions about this team is can Jamal Murray reach that ceiling that, I think me and you think he's got in him. Um, I, Zach Lowe to column earlier this year called him the league's most important swing player over the next three seasons. It's going to be really interesting to just watch how this guy progresses. Yeah, I think he can get there because of just his skill set right now and how young he is. That's the biggest thing we've got to think about with Jamal Murray. He's 22 years old, which is a crazy considering he's already done a lot in this league uh, for sure. I will have to say, though, I probably expected Murray to take a little bit bigger of a leap this season. And I think the biggest area where I kind of expected more from him was what you were talking about, consistency. You know, maybe he could develop into more of a pure point guard. His entry passes haven't been good, you know, if you want little things like that to pick on. But he hasn't grown as much as I thought he would in that area. But the consistency thing is the one thing that still sticks out with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, this this homestand was kind of a good example of that. Against mm-hmm. Minnesota, Jamal goes for 30-10-16 shooting. Um, the Nuggets, I mean, one of the more impressive games of the season. And then a couple nights later against Dallas, has 12 on 4 of 13 shooting. And the Nuggets really have to, to labor to pull that one out. They need, you know, Nikola Jokic's late-game heroics. You know, as opposed to go, you know, going for like 32 one night and then 12 the next – Murray just kind of needs to get like his 18 to 22 and do it kind of efficiently, sort of like Gary Harris does. I doubt you have the numbers on this, but I get the feeling that when Jamal Murray is going in the first quarter, that's probably a good omen for the Nuggets. 
And we should look that up for a show later this week. Like, when he scores X amount of points in the first quarter, did Nuggets win that game? I would have to think they do because, you know, when he's going, you know, that allows Jokic to, to be his playmaker self, to look to get him involved. And I feel like everybody else feeds off that. Yeah, I mean, Murray is such a, like, when he sees one shot goes in, everything about his game changes. Well, we were joking about this at the game on Saturday. Murray might have the fastest heat check in the league, right? Like, Murray hits 1-3, and he's automatically looking for the heat check the next time down. Yeah, he hits 1-3, and he acts like he's Steph after Steph's hit, like, three in a row. Yeah, I think it's one of the great qualities that Jamal Murray has, confidence, but he's... uh, not consistent enough with his jumper right now. Like he still misses so many open threes that he should make. You know, he knows that. He would say that too. He he should be a better shooter than he is. And quietly, he's up at what, 38% from three this year? Yeah, I mean, it's still a really good mark if you look at it overall. And, you know, we're talking about this inconsistency. Really, all three seasons of his career, he's come out of the gates so slow. Like mm-hmm. he's been a slow starter all three seasons. I'm, I'm wondering if he can kick that next year. Um, you hit on his age too. And, you know, I was, I was looking at that today too. And just to put this in perspective, like, I, I think this has been a somewhat disappointing year for Murray, but on the flip side, I mean, Jamal is, is first in minutes and second in scoring on the second best team in the Western conference. And you look at some of, you know, guards who are a little bit older than him, but in the same mold, uh, point guards who are really just lead scoring guards, you know, Dame Lillard was a rookie. Uh, at 22 years old. That's how old Jamal Murray is now. Um, Lillard made his first All-NBA team at, at age 23. It took Steph Curry until age 25 to, to make an All-NBA team. So, I mean, Murray still has plenty of time, but definitely next year, the, the biggest thing you'd like to see is just a little more consistency. Yeah, I wouldn't classify it as a disappointing season, uh, per se. Uh, I would just say that I don't think he took the leap, got to the level that I quite thought he would. I still think he had a fairly good season uh, for all intents and purposes. I don't know if I'd say disappointing, though. Yeah, I, that was probably a little harsh. I'd probably want to walk that back. You, ju- you just had h- such high expectations. Um, you, you know, it seemed you know, this summer, Murray had the full, the full time to be able to work out. The summer before, he was laid up after having that double sports hernia. I remember there was the, the preseason poll. NBA GMs voted him most likely to have a breakout season. There, there was just a lot of buzz, um, and I, I guess maybe I had too high of expectations. I thought, you know, maybe he'd go for, for 22 this year. I just thought he'd score the basketball a little more efficiently, but no, he's still you, been good. If you want to say he had, he had a disappointing year, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, he still had a really good year, and he's such a young guy. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pick too many nits. Yeah, the ceiling, though, it just really oozes every time you, you watch Jamal Murray Excited to see what he does in Boston because you know Kyrie Irving has not forgotten about Jamal Murray trying to go for 51 points on him, which I still support. It was still the right move from Jamal to do it. I'm glad he did it. I think it gave this team a much-needed edge at that time. Kyrie throwing the ball into the crowd was the most petulant thing I've ever seen. Like yeah. Kyrie, is- do, you remember, do you remember the quote? No. Kyrie said something to the tune of, he didn't deserve the game ball for a bullshit act like that. Kyrie's trying to give his teammates lessons about how to be mature all season, and then Jamal Murray shoots like a three at the buzzer that doesn't mean anything really, and Kyrie throws the ball into the crowd. Like That was, that was like a, a move a fifth grader makes when he's mad and just throws the soccer ball over the fence so they can't play soccer anymore. 
Definitely. Somebody who was mad Saturday night, Nikola Jokic. He got tossed from the game. If you were living under a rock here. We've got a question we're going to get to on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline about his ejection. Uh, a certain referee that was involved in his ejection. I also want to get into Isaiah Thomas returning to Boston here. And you know, if maybe Mike Malone gives him a little bit of run, though. First... A quick word from Strava Craft Coffee. We're really excited to tell you guys about Strava Craft Coffee. It's a game-changing coffee. It also has CBD and the product Strava Craft Coffee. It's really changed lives. If you want to check them out, check out their reviews. They're incredible. Uh, This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped to decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. We cannot recommend it any more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. All right, still here on the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here. Without further ado, let's go to the Total Beverage fan hotline. We got a question about the officiating from Saturday's win over the Pacers. If you do have a question for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. Let's go there right now. Hello, this is Corey from Florida calling in after a big week. The Nuggets going 3-0 on the homestand. That's awesome. Especially getting these wins down the stretch. They're going to be big, creating separation uh, in the West and maybe getting some rest before the playoffs. Uh, My question is, how does officiating affect the game? Uh, going down the stretch, the Nuggets have to, to play well, for sure. And uh, into the playoffs, they want to be in a good rhythm. But the the Nuggets, they don't already don't have the respect of NBA uh, talking heads. So uh, teams, are, they want them in the first round. So how can the Nuggets make sure that... They get that respect going into the, the playoffs, and how, what do you think they can do to to make the, I guess, the officiating more even? Uh, stop fouling more, uh, be better on defense, anything like that. So I uh, appreciate the, the, the good work you guys do uh, on a weekly basis, getting those five pods out in a week really helps the, the Nuggets fan base get a get a pulse on what's actually going on there at the can. And go Nuggets. All right, thanks for the call, Corey. Well, let me get to your question in a second. Let's just talk about Nicole Jokic getting ejected first Saturday night. Look, you guys know from listening to this podcast over the last couple of years, I'm never one, and I don't think you are one either, Christian, to get on the officials for winning or losing a game for a team. I'm never one that is going to blame officiating. But, I mean, Nicole Jokic's ejection, it was ridiculous. You got the feeling from watching this game that Tony Brothers, and it took us 34 minutes and 56 seconds before we mentioned his name tonight, uh, it seemed like he was looking to throw Nikola Jokic out at any opportunity he got. And that opportunity came uh, in the second half, in the fourth quarter, when Jokic disagreed with a call. It was a bad call after a string of a lot of bad calls on Denver. Uh, The crowd was restless. A lot of Nuggets players were frustrated, including Jokic. Jokic reacted. He shouldn't have reacted. He shouldn't have blown up in Tony Brothers' face, but he was clearly frustrated. And I think based on his reaction, he probably deserved to get tossed. Uh, But 
you could feel that situation kind of brewing and escalating. And I wasn't surprised when it happened by any means, uh, but it definitely seemed like Tony Brothers came out of halftime looking to make an impact on the game. Yeah, my question is, did, did Tony Brothers before the game, you know, stumble upon Nemanja and Strahinja egging his car? <laughs> I mean, like, because that felt personal to me. Mm. It, it it felt a little bit personal. It felt like Tony Brothers was not able to ref that game objectively from from where I was sitting. Um, yeah, man, it was. I don't like to blame the officials either, but that that was that was pretty egregious, to, to be honest with you. And it nearly cost the Nuggets the game. I mean, they were up seven when Jokic was um, right before he got tossed, three minutes to go. You know, Pacers came right back. The Nuggets needed Paul Millsap to bail them out in the end. That almost cost Denver a game. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was tough. You know, I think Nicole Jokic could really help himself by by not complaining so much. Like, when, when you get a call, don't complain. Just go to the line and shoot your free throws or just take the ball out of bounds. Mm-hmm. But I also do think Jokic gets a, a tough whistle compared to other stars because he just doesn't look like other stars. At um, 8.39 p.m. or midway through last night's third quarter, I tweeted, if Tony Brothers doesn't give someone on the Nuggets a technical before this game ends, I'd be surprised. 31 minutes later, Nikola Jokic received two straight technicals and was tossed. That's what I mean, though. You could see this situation brewing. There were a lot of really questionable calls, particularly in the second half, on Denver. And uh, a lot of players reacted. Michael Malone was reacting. The fan, the crowd was restless. I'd never seen a more ticked-off crowd at Pepsi Center this year, possibly at the officiating, uh, than the one we got on Saturday. It was well-deserved, though. The fans certainly made uh, their presence and their thoughts known, but you could see this coming. I agree, though. Nikola Jokic, he's probably got to work on keeping his emotions in check a little more. Complains a lot. Every star player complains a lot, but it certainly doesn't help his case. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so funny. Jokic just flips a switch when he goes out there. I mean, when he's not on the court, he's just joking around, um, just just such a low-key guy. But when Jokic goes out there, and he can get fiery. He's a killer. He's such a competitor, man. And he has this other image off the court, like you said, but when he gets in between those lines, he's a different person. Yeah, and I actually did think that was a, a foul on Jokic. Like, he, he kind of was grabbing his arm. Um, you know, I, I didn't think it was terrible that, that he called the foul, but... I don't know. For for Tony Brothers not to just give him one T and walk away, that that seemed like the worst part of it to me. Imagine if that was Draymond Green. If if that was Draymond Green, would he have even got teed up at all? I'm not sure, but there was another play earlier in the game where Tony Brothers called a foul on Will Barton. I don't know if you remember this or saw it, and Will Barton kind of started to react and look Tony Brothers' direction, and Tony Brothers was staring right back at him, like almost trying to find any sort of reason to give him a technical foul. And Barton held, held himself back and didn't receive a T. And, uh, but I don't think like Jokic's reaction to that one play was because of that one call. Like I said, it had been really brewing in the lead-up on, on a lot of bad calls in that second half. Yeah, I mean, it's just frustrating, too, when you know officials can't keep it in their head that we're not there to see them. They're not the show, man. Just mm-hmm. blend in, baby. Yeah. I like how Michael Malone held back after the game. We didn't get 
the officiating rant that we think maybe we'll get before the playoffs or in the first round of the playoffs. But to Corey's question, I think that's a way that Denver could at least bring some attention to the fact that Nicole Jokic doesn't get officiated like an all-star and doesn't get the calls he probably should deserve. I was listening back to the locker room audio from last night and a quick reminder, we post all the locker room audio on bsndenver.com. If you want to sign up for a subscription and listen to what we hear in the locker room from, you know, talking with Nicole Jokic to Paul Millsap to Jamal Murray to Will Barton, really after every game, uh, that's always on bsndenver.com. But Paul Millsap said in response to a question about Nicole Jokic's ejection, he said, quote, you're talking about an all-star guy who gets knocked around a lot. So Paul Millsap sticking up for his front court partner. I think it's true, man. I mean, I, I'm sure part of that is gamesmanship, but I, I really do think it's a real thing. I mean, Nikola Jokic is so big. He's a little bit doughy, let's be honest. And he, he's so freaking strong that, you know, I think guys just get away with a lot of stuff against him. And I mean, I don't know, man. He, he gets a tough whistle. Yeah, he certainly does. But it's probably part of his progression as a player, as he makes more all-star games, as the Nuggets get deeper in the playoffs, I think he'll start to get more calls. That's another thing. Talking to players, a lot of them will be very honest up, up front and tell you that you only start getting calls when you get into the playoffs and kind of build that rep up as a team. I think players, at least in the Nuggets locker room, I know are cognizant of that and believe that, at least you know the guys who have been around the block uh, for a bit. Thanks for the call, Corey. Again, if you guys got questions for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394, 1-800-BSN-8394. Final topic, Isaiah Thomas's return to Boston Monday. It's crazy. He hasn't played in Boston in two seasons, yet this is the first time I guess he's available to play since he got traded from there two years ago uh, with the Cavs and the Lakers last season. He was injured when uh, both those teams played in Boston and eventually he was shut down in March last year. So he hasn't played in the Garden since. He obviously helped lead the Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago and then was shut down then. What are you expecting in this game? I mean, Isaiah Thomas has been banished from the rotation here for these last couple of games. I can't imagine he's happy about it, although we haven't been able to chat with Isaiah here in Denver. He has been a team player, though. He's been engaged on the bench. He's been cheering his teammates on. You guys know from listening to this podcast, from hopefully reading our work, that he's been crucial behind the scenes just as one of the leaders of this team. I would have to say he probably is the Nuggets quote-unquote leader right now if you had to pick one guy. He's beloved in Boston, obviously. What are you expecting on this night? I don't think he's going to be back in the rotation. Um, I, I don't think that the Nuggets can continue to to roll out only eight guys, which they've been doing these last three games here. Um, I just think that's going to wear guys down. But I think you're, you're better served, you know, given those minutes uh, – at the ninth guy to a Trey Lyles or a Torrey Craig. Um, you know, I can see trying to do Isaiah a solid, but I don't know. I mean, if, if you just throw him out there for one game, then maybe it, it opens the door for something you don't want. I, I just think it's, it's probably best to, to leave him on the bench. And I don't know. I mean, the Celtics are probably going to give him an ovation before the game. Like sure. I'm sure he's going to get his love either sure. way. 
I think he will too. I think he'll he'll get that ovation. He'll get the tribute video or whatever. I mean, he he is beloved in Boston. Just go to his social media, scroll his Twitter timeline. He is a god in Boston uh, for what he did. And you know, he called Danny Ainge this summer and asked Danny Ainge if he could come back to Boston. You know, so he would play there again. Obviously, he ended up signing in Denver. It's a tough spot for Michael Malone to be in. Like, I don't think Isaiah Thomas is going to be in this rotation for the rest of the season, but I'm going to disagree with you, and I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for Isaiah Thomas to play four or five minutes at the end of the first half in this one. Give him the standing ovation. I mean, they'd probably stop the game and just, like, let the crowd give him an applause for, like, you know, however long they want to go on. That's the kind of response I think they would give him. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think Isaiah would honestly really appreciate it. He'd look at that move from Michael Malone, and those two obviously have a really good relationship. I think he'd really respect Malone a lot for doing that. And you know, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Look, it's one game, and I know the Nuggets don't want to give up a game at this point in the season. I don't think playing him for five minutes would mean you're giving a game away at this point in the year. So I think it would mean a lot to Isaiah. It'd be a nice gesture. He'd really appreciate it. And I think it'd be a good look to the rest of the league. It would blow up on social media. I'm sure a lot of players would be like, man, the Nuggets are really cool for doing that. I just don't think you want the added distractions. It is a distraction. I agree. Because it really opens up a Pandora's box that's closed right now, you know? But I think it would mean a lot to him, and I think it would be a cool moment. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, with, with kind of cutting him out of the rotation here, there are probably conversations that went into that that, you know, weren't the most fun to have. Um, sure. Michael Malone had to keep it real. That's his job. But you're almost, you know, if you do this, then you might have to like do that all over again. <laughs> yeah, but I think those two would have some understanding if he did give him a couple minutes in Boston, you know, to to know that all right, you know, what was happening with the rotation before this game that's still in place. You know, that's still the eight eight and a half guys that we're rolling with, but this would be a one-time deal. Nuggets trying to clinch a playoff spot tomorrow too. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That's another thing. Against a Boston team that's a little banged up right now, a team they've had some success against lately, there's just going to be a lot going on Monday. You got Isaiah Thomas returning. You got Jamal Murray and Kyrie Irving playing for the first time since uh, the end-of-game incident uh, at the end of that matchup back in Denver at the beginning of the season. There's a lot to look forward to. I'm hyped. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we got for today. Hey, we want to hear your guys' thoughts, your guys' questions. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, 1-800-BSN-8394. Oh, I got one more question before we go here. Is there anybody on the Nuggets that could pull off the Ninja Turtle headband, the craze that's sweeping the NBA right now? Because I have one guy in mind that could pull it off. One guy? Nikola Jokic? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think Malik Beasley could pull it off. Okay. Okay. Malik was a guy I thought about, but it's Jamal Murray. Jamal Ooh. Murray could pull it off. That's a good one. With the Ninja Turtle headband, and this is kind of going off the board a little, but a certain hairstyle looks best with it, like the Drew Holiday hairstyle. Oh, yeah. You know, the, yep. the braids. Nuggets two-way player Brandon Goodwin also wears one in the G League, and he can pull it off, too. He's got a little more hair than Jamal Murray. So I think if Jamal Murray grew out his hair slightly more, you know, he had that like Kyrie Irving uh, mini fro going that Irving was rocking earlier this year. I think he could pull off the Ninja Turtle headband. Obviously, he's got the Bruce Lee connection. 
I just, I almost think it's meant to be. I like that one a lot. All right, we'll, we'll see if he does it. Not expecting him to, but I don't think it'd be the worst look in the world. Well, didn't Jamal have a headband on in warm-ups the other day, and he just took it off before the game? Yeah, the regular headband I don't think is a good look for him, but the Ninja Turtle headband is a look I think that could do him well. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back with another episode on Tuesday, recapping this Celtics game. Talk to you then. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out elixinol.com.